Welcome back, everyone, to the ENC podcast. Um, today, we have the pleasure of interviewing and just talking with Danielle Strickland. In a minute, I'm going to let her introduce herself, but um, we also have Brianna Taylor helping to interview and chat with Danielle Strickland. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, yeah, can you just give a brief little intro about yourself before we start? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. So I'm Danielle Strickland. I'm located in Toronto, Canada. I uh, have spent a whole bunch, maybe a lifetime, uh, advocating and church planting and Jesus following and uh, writing and speaking and communicating sort of good news, I hope, (laughs) trying to stop the bad news. And that's pretty much who I am. Thank you, Danielle. So I got a chance to um, watch some of your videos while just prepping for this and everything, getting to know you. And let me just say, I... I love them a lot. Um, I think it's something that especially college students should be paying attention to because uh, we're the next generation of, you know, leaders and everybody out there. Um, So can we start by talking about the different um, ministries that you have, like Brave? Sure. Yeah, sure. So um, these range uh, in in kind of what they do, and, and but actually they're all probably pretty insightful about what kind of life I live and what I'm interested in. So Brave Global is a charity that I started uh, five five six years ago now with a friend Noemi Chavez from Long Beach, California, and Brave Global mobilizes churches and communities to reach vulnerable girls before they're trafficked. So that whole thing started in the back of a brothel. I used to be a chaplain to brothels, indoor uh, sexual exploited women on the street and inside varying establishments. Brothels was one of them, massage parlors. We like to call those in Canada. And uh, I was talking to a massage madame, a woman that was very strong, confident and successful in that industry. And I was complimenting her about the renovation she had done and asked her, you know, with all your gifts, I wonder why you choose to do this, you know, with your life. And she took me in the back room and said, uh, when I was 11 years old, you know, I was raped by my dad for the last time. I walked up this very street. A guy pulled over in a truck, said, I'll give you a a place to stay if you sleep with me. And she said, I turned my first trick. I cried the whole time. I cried the whole next night. I cried the whole next night. She said, when I got done crying, I decided I'd do the best with what I've been dealt And then I remember her looking at me, just eyes completely filled with tears. First weakness I ever saw in this woman. And she said, where were you when I was 11? And you know how sometimes God just puts a a thing on echo. You know, you just can't shake the, what really um, impacted me about the question was not, it's, was not like the one conversation I had with this woman. It was that every woman I had ever helped seemed to have a similar story. And I thought that God was asking us, hey, it's time to stop seeing women as the problem and start seeing women as the solution. And so we, uh, yeah, we got together, Noemi Chavez and her group, local group in Long Beach, and came up with a strategy to help mobilize communities. And it's just been wonderful to watch it grow. Uh, Amplify Peace, that's about peacemaking and raising up uh, voices uh, of peacemakers. And I think actually making peace, reconciliation work, uh, work to bring people together, work of inclusion and embrace is probably the only way to make sense of the gospel in this generation. So peacemaking to me, I mean, I think if, I mean, we need it, right? All we see are divisions, fear, separation, isolation, 
you know, people living in same old, same old camps and groups. And the church, of course, is, is sucked into this uh, as well. And I think it's time to model more of Jesus's approach to life, of not being led by fear, of radical inclusion, of transformation, of empathy, you know, of empowerment. So Amplify Peace does that. And um, that's a global group. We go, a lot of times what we do is um, we host uh, what we would call immersion encounters. So in Palestine, Israel, in South Africa, in Rwanda, you know, places in the world where peace and reconciliation is like a big deal. And they, people have know way better than us, uh, the cost and also how to do those things in really difficult circumstances. And then we just learn, how can we do this at home? Um, and then what else do we have? Oh yes. In, infinitumlife.com. That's a way of life. It's just a, a kind of like a rule of life, an order it's kind of John Wesley meets the 12 step program. I call it, <laughs> but it is uh, rhythms, postures, prayers, practices that you can do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis that really help you keep Jesus at the center. So that faith isn't just some belief system or even some general idea of what defines your life, but it's a daily practice that lead you in the way of Jesus. So that's been transformational for me. I actually made that up with some friends for myself <laughs> uh, so that I would really just be, be practicing the way of Jesus on a daily basis instead of just talking about it or thinking about it or hoping for it. And it was so transformational for us as we crafted it that we just began to share it with other people. And now it's a thing. Um, and a women speaker collective. That's another thing. And that was really just about empowering the voices of women, raising the level, training, support, networking women speakers so that we could get more women communicators on main stages and influencing the world to get their voices heard. I'll leave it at that. There's another new initiative I'm kicking off this year, which I'm super excited about called Imbi. It's in my backyard. I think a website will be launching in the next two weeks. But uh, it's a tiny house movement in people's backyards for vulnerable, uh, affordable housing for vulnerable people. So I'm super excited about that. <laughs> so Danielle, you write, you lead, you teach, and a lot of your ministry seems to be outside what we might deem traditional ministry, um, either pastoral ministry or something inside of the church. So how did you prepare for the career that you find yourself in now, either educationally or through different mentorships that directed you as you grew into your job? Yeah, Brianna, that's a great question. Thanks for it. Um, you know, I always describe my career as like a connect the dot puzzle. And rather than have this plan that I tracked out and thought, what do I have to do to get there? It was more like, oh, I think I'm supposed to go to B now, and then I'm supposed to go to C now. And they actually weren't even in a trajectory, you know, in line. They were like all over the place. And it kind of made no sense until I look back and go, oh, God was doing this cool thing. And so all I could do was just obey what he told me to do next. So I often think like a life of radical discipleship is just simply doing what God tells you to do right now and trusting that he has a way forward for you. Uh, but that did include a lot of... Um, people that I loved and knew in relationship. Uh, I've had a lot of mentors along the way, again, people that came alongside in certain seasons of my life. So I would say I didn't have like one mentor, but I would have people that I admired or would look to for their example. So whether that was like reading a biography of somebody that I admired or whether it was an opportunity to 
uh, oftentimes what would happen is I would go along with somebody who I liked what it was they were doing. And I would say, how can I help? And in so helping managed to get as much as I could ask all the questions, see all the things. Um, so that happened a lot. Um, I did education. I, I kind of caught up. So when I was younger, I was a juvenile delinquent and I, I quit school. I was a drug addict. I went to jail, all the things. And so I had to go back to school. I was never a good student. I hated staying still. I'm not much of a, you know, structure person, but I did actually, once I, once I encountered Jesus, I did get hungry to learn. And so I became an avid book reader. I still am. I'm, I love reading uh, a whole plethora of different things. I love the eclectic nature of things, you know, how the, the connectedness of culture and the gospel and the Bible and theology books and justice books and fiction books. I mean, it's just, I love all the things. And then I would, I did do a master's uh, degree in leadership after a, uh, an undergrad in biblical theology. And uh, that really was a very practical program in just how to lead better. So it was really helpful to me, not only in what I was doing in terms of leadership, but also it helped me understand what other people were doing in leadership above me and things like that, where I understood what they needed from me. So that was a helpful practical program. But I would say most of my journey has been very grassroots, hands-on, experiential learning. Um, so just going back to the video that you sent us, uh, you started by uh, reading the passages where um, Jesus didn't take this approach of just slamming those in charge, but rather he instructed them on the right way to live. Um, and I think that's really important for us because a lot of times we just want to ridicule uh, people in leadership rather than trying to help them continue in the right way to do something. Um, and that's a mindset that's really difficult to change uh, for everyone. And we forget about the good news sometimes. Um, can you shed some light on that? Uh, what a practical ways that we can change our mindset towards actively living out the good news, especially for college students? Yeah, I would say um, uh, probably a couple tips that might be helpful. They're helpful to me anyway, is one is to resist the us and them. Uh, whenever you start finding yourself and you'll notice this with language, you know, whenever you're like, who, what are they thinking, you know, and then just to stop and go, who, are they anyway? Because I think as soon as we build these containers and compartments, we're probably living in conformity to a worldly system that loves to neatly put people in boxes and draw lines and borders. And, you know, you're with us, you're not with us, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I think that Jesus is always providing a third way. He's outside of the box on either camp. He refuses to join any box. He's unboxable. <laughs> uncontainable. So I think that it, as soon as we start slipping into those, like I'm on this side or that side, and we, we start confining people to categories, um, we need to actively uh, realize that that's what's happening. We're sliding into this thing. We have to look for ways of breaking that. So one of the ways Jesus does this, of course, uh, is he goes out of his way to get in the way all the time. So he goes where he's not supposed to be. So that's a great, and that works on both, you know, whether or not that's going to like a religious person's house for dinner and on the Sabbath, right? And he gets in trouble there because he refuses to comply with dumb religious laws. 
Uh, or he goes to border places in Samaria where all the lepers are that you're not supposed to be. And he goes there. And so on both extremes, you find Jesus uh, defying convention and social norms and religious sensibilities. So I would say that's just number one, is your life a nonconformist one? Do you refuse the patterns of us and them polarities and like taking, you know, of refusing to see people for who they truly are and seeing them instead through the lens of social stigma or politics or doctrine or whatever it is. So you should have a very colorful, diverse plethora of friends and pe- so much so that you don't really fit anywhere. That would make you a, a really good Christian, I think, because the only place you're supposed to fit is the kingdom. And the kingdom is like, woo, celebration of diversity. So I would say that Michael Frost calls it this live a questionable life. I like that too. Live a questionable life. So are you living in such a way that people are like, what are you doing? (laughs) What? Like, why would you, how could you be friends with them? You know, and whether them is, uh, you know, some kind of extreme conservative person who you like, you really just want to write off or whether them is like, you know, someone from a community that is crazy, you know, morally loose or something like that. It doesn't matter who the them is. We should always just be with them. (laughs) And by them, I mean everybody. So let your alignment uh, break the boxes of convention, please. And then I would say um, in Amplify Peace, we use this little listen, learn, live model to be peacemakers, but also just to live better lives. So listen is listen to voices you don't normally hear. Uh, And this is harder than you might think. So like Sandra Van Opsel was just on my podcast. She's a, a, a Latina extraordinaire minister, preacher, justice advocate person that I learned from a lot. And she just suggested like, look through your whole theological library and remove all the white men from it and then have a look at who's left. <laughs> and then like have all your BIPOC and your female uh, theologians Uh, And then start adding to that list people that you can't live without. And then start seeing if even your theological library is at all reflective of the Revelation Church, of the global church. Because that's going to matter, right? So that, again, that's just like uh, listening to voices you don't normally hear. So I had a couple friends who've been in ministry for a long time do the exercise. They went to their library and they removed all the traditional books and they put up books from diverse voices. And they were like, wow, I have two. (laughs) And I didn't even know I had them. It just so happens I have two, you know, and they just realize, like, oh, I see part of the problem. I have not even been listening. I have not even been learning. I have not even been reading. I've not even been open to an alternative view. Just like forget about like even uh, your uh, theological camp, just a, just a different cultural uh, camp. I haven't even been open. So I think once you start opening and you listen and that even uh, means in upfront and close and personal, when someone's really passionate about something, instead of trying to defend your position against them, ask them more, ask them how they got there, ask them why they feel that way, ask them why it's important to them, ask them like, tell me more. That's like one of my, those are my three of my favorite words right there. Tell me more, help me understand. Uh, and then learn is the, the second posture, which is uh, there are other ways of doing things, other ways that have been done before, other people who've done things differently, learn some new things. It's really exciting way to live. We don't have to do the same old thing we've always done. Let's learn new ways. And then the third L is to live differently as a result. So just implement the things that you've listened and you've learned from, and then you change your behavior. And as you, and then we just say, repeat, 
And every time there's layers of deeperness, wideness, like it's just, it's just a better way to live really. Now I've noticed on your social media platforms recently, this phrase uh, keep reappearing. What is the worst that could happen? (laughs) Could you take some time explaining the significance of that question in your life and also how one would go about confronting any fears that they may have, whether it's engaging with the other or standing up for others? Yeah, great. So what's the worst that could happen is a line that I say all the time. whenever somebody throws an idea or we're going to do something different and they'll be like, should we do it? And I'll be like, well, what's the worst that could happen? I say it all the time, like over and over again. And my social media, who was my intern, Hannah, she said to me, oh, that'd be a great social media post. Like just what's the worst that could happen? And the idea around it, of course, is is more like saying like, why not? You know, because I think when you actually think about trying versus not trying, or doing something and failing versus being too afraid to do anything at all. I'm always going to pick the do something and fail. I'm always going to pick. And in my life, my experience is that that's how you learn anyway. And most of us talk ourselves out of uh, doing things that we feel convicted about, or we feel led to, uh, or we even feel like some anticipation or excitement about because we live in a culture of fear. And fear is uh, all about risk aversion. It's not even about risk management. So I should just say this, risk management's a real good thing. Manage risk, everybody should do that. And that's partly a what's the worst that could happen. Like manage it, what is the worst that could happen? I could fail, I could be embarrassed, I could you know, get it wrong. Like I could, I don't know, whatever the worst is that could happen. You make a list of whatever this is that could be the worst case and you just deal with like, what if that happened? What if this happened? What if that happened? And then you, you're you really managing the risk, which is is just wise. But I think that most of our systems to keep us safe, and especially in today's culture, we're risk averse, which means we try to avoid risk at all costs. And when you're risk averse, what it means is that you just don't do anything everything has a, what's the worst that could happen. <clears throat> and so you just, <clears throat> sorry. So you just talk yourself out of doing anything because there's risk attached to it. So I would say that what's the worst that could happen is a confrontation of your fear and it's a management of risk. Um, and it's a refusal to avoid risk because the truth is there is no avoiding risk. That's the truth. As much as we like to say, like, even if you're going to sit at home and do nothing but watch Netflix, you're now risking a good life, right? You're risking like living, you're risking losing out on the opportunity that God's giving you to engage in this world. You're missing out on like what could be and what might be. You're missing out on your own, you know, original creative thoughts and what you should be doing with your gifts. Like, so everything is about managing risk, but this idea of avoiding it is a, is a lie that just keeps us immobilized. So what's the worst that could happen is sort of shrugging off this, I'm not going to do anything and I'm going to confront the fear that keeps me from doing what it is that I can do. So um, let's bring it back to social justice. Um, There's a lot of talk out there about the difference between equity, equity and equality. And I'm finding that not a lot of people my age actually are aware of that difference. So if you want to shed some light on that as well, talk about Yeah, the easiest way that I could describe this is um, equity is the right and, uh, sorry, equality is the right and equity is the opportunity to exercise the right. 
So for example, my son really wanted a remote control car for Christmas. So I got my son the remote control car for Christmas, gave it to him in the package. But I said to him, I know you really wanted this car, honey, but I don't want the car to get ruined. So I want you to just put it up on the shelf and look at it and you have it. And so we should be good. And my son's like, oh man, what's the point of having this car that I wanted for Christmas on my shelf if I can't use it? And actually it's almost worse to have it and not be able to use it than to just not have it at all. So I would say that equality is the car and equity is the right to use the car. And where this gets really tense for people that so-called have the right. So we think about uh, equality when it comes to women and everybody, you know, most of the time in Canada or Western countries, people would say, you guys should all be satisfied and stop like bugging us already because you have the right. But in much of the time, the rights that we have are like little badges that are stuck on the board, but actually not opportunities to exercise the right, whether it comes to management or senior level or pay equity, or even, um, you know, just rates of harassment and abuse, the things women put up with in the world. So the difference between the two is one is the right, the other is the opportunity to use the right. And uh, this next question that I have, um, I know there are several organizations you mentioned um, that you partner with or have uh, begun, but uh, taking all of those into consideration, what are the biggest challenges that these organizations are facing in social justice work and incorporating that in theology today? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good, I mean, I, I'm going to say just like from an organizational standpoint, it's almost always funding. <laughs> like when you're doing charity or nonprofit work, it's always who's going to pay the bills and how do we create sustainable structures? So that's like a nonstop thing that comes up. It sounds a little trite to say, but it is true every time, you know, you have a good idea to change the world, but you really have to do that for free. <laughs> And so there is, you know, that's always, always a problem. And so there is actually always an ethic, I think, in social justice work that people try. And I meet people all the time who are like, as soon as I get a full job with benefits and social justice, I'm totally going to do that with my life. <laughs> and I'm always like, yeah, okay, well, I'll see you later then. Because, you know, that's almost always not how it starts out. It's, it's, uh, it's a fight. And often it's a fight on the side. You know, it's often entrepreneurial. It's often something that you have to fight for. So I would say that. And then I would just say, I'd probably go back to this risk aversion thing. I think that a culture, and I think especially in the church, there's just so much fear. Uh, fear is leading people in so many ways. And so I would say that one of the blocks for en engagement, whether it's peacemaking or whether it's living a different way, you know, opening up somebody your backyard or whether it's uh, you know, mobilizing your community to help vulnerable girls before they're trafficked. I just think there's just so much fear. People are afraid. Uh, they're afraid of what they don't know. They're afraid of what they know. They're afraid of what could happen. <laughs> you know, uh, they're afraid of what might not happen. I mean, all of the, all of the things. So I would say that I, I think fear is probably the greatest enemy of our generation. Um, that prevents people from really jumping into the work of the kingdom. Now, last question for you. I know <laughs> we've gone over, but um, we just enjoy talking to you. <laughs> so, yeah, actually, um, in terms of the future of the church, um, reconciliation is important for the church as well as um, ourselves. But 
What should that look like when following the good news model Jesus left for us? Yeah, this is loaded. I mean, I actually think we're living in a reformation of the church right now. I think uh, we've all had a good year, especially in Canada, to think through the church is not a building. I think we always used to say that, but we practiced our lives as though it was still. And I think when that's removed from you, you have to ask some really important questions about whether or not we're really following Jesus, what it means to live in a neighborhood and with people in need around us and how we're going to meet that need, not through a structure or an institution or an organization, but through our own lives. And how that's good news is that this is always the way it was meant to be. I mean, this is the early church. There was no structural church. It was people living their lives by being radically inclusive, by caring for the needs of people around them, by you know, redefining family, you know, these are my brothers and sisters and people from different backgrounds. And, you know, I, I, and I think that's where I think the church at its best and its most strategic advance is when it does that, when it lives out this gospel reorientation and our lives have a different center. You know, we're just not, we're not motivated by fear. We're motivated by love. We're radically inclusive when people are defensive and compound compartmentalized. Uh, we're merciful when people are judgmental, you know, we're hospitable when people are like not in my backyard. And I think when that gospel's lived out on a local personal relational level, it's, it is power. It's power. And the power of the gospel is manifest in those very things. We keep thinking the power of the gospel is going to be some massive move from heaven, you know, like, and even the disciples were like, show us wh wh where it's coming. And Jesus is like, it's not out there. It's not over there. It's not in the bright lights. It's not even Maverick city music. You know, it's not, it's actually the kingdoms right here. It's right here, right inside of you. Um, so I think that how we live uh, this radical local, that's why really I created infinitum life, you know, just to, to rethink through like, what are my daily, weekly, monthly habits that are helping me follow Jesus in today's life to reorientate my life towards others uh, and to live this out. And I think that's, that is the church. That is the dwelling place of the Lord. That's where God comes in power and moves powerfully. So I think it's uh, I think there's a movement out of structural institutional denominational church into relational, local, <laughs> powerful, demonstrated, radically inclusive hospitality-driven uh, groups of believers living their faith out? I know I said that was the last question, but I do have one more. Um, if you had anything that you'd like to share to college students and whoever else is listening, uh, what would it be? Yeah, I, I think I would tell you not to be afraid. And actually, I would think that uh, almost all the things that have been packaged to you as bad news in this season is actually good news in the kingdom. And um, that you do not have to be driven. You don't have to allow anxiety and bad news to drive you. Um, that God wants to do something in your day that is new. And no one's been here before. No one's lived through a global pandemic like this before ever. Nobody has been coming up into a church that is like shedding its old skin quite like this. I mean, since the Reformation, like a thousand years ago. So God's doing something new. He's doing something remarkable. So what I would say is don't be afraid and start looking like repentance is actually the Greek metanoia. It means to change the way you see. And I would, I just say, repent and believe the good news, change the way you see, 
see that God is on the move in ways we've never even thought of before, the way technology can unite us, the way that our local lives can make a radical difference, the way that our culture has never been more open uh, for prayer or support or connection before. Uh, I think we're on the cusp of something really beautiful and that you're at the front of the helm to lead us there. So don't be afraid. Let your eyes be, you know, kingdom ones, put on your kingdom lenses, see what God's doing, and then just join them. That's it. That's all. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't even have to know what it looks like. We're back to the connect the dot puzzle. Just go to dot B and then dot C and then dot D. And, and won't you know it, you will actually reform uh, the church as we know it. I'm convinced. Thank you so much, Danielle, for joining us and just talking to us. Um, yeah, we really appreciate everything you had to say. And for those of you listening, I encourage you to check out Danielle's video um, and read her books. Uh, her most recent book, I believe, is... It's Better Together, How Women right. and Men Can Heal the Divide and Change the World. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but I, I invite you guys to really listen to what Daniel has said and um, find ways in your local community, uh, whether that's actual at your home or here on campus, and find ways to engage and to ask a question, what can I do to help? Thank you, Daniel, and thank you for everyone listening. Have a good day.